Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good morning. Welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Knight Campbell, your host for The Leading Edge, women pushing boundaries in life, adventure, and leadership. Our topic today is choosing to stand out with Captain Barbara Bell. Captain Bell is a Vanderbilt leadership professor and the author of Flight Lessons, Navigating Through Life's Turbulence and Learning to Fly High, a book about how to develop the gritty mindset required to push through barriers and take flight in any situation. Captain Bell is one of the first women to graduate from the U.S. Naval Academy and helped spearhead the movement on Capitol Hill to allow women to fly combat missions in the U.S. military. Today, I'm particularly excited to dig into Captain Bell's experience making big changes, pushing boundaries, and helping others take flight. Good morning, Captain Bell, and welcome. Good morning, Knight. It's great to be here. Okay. To start out, what should our listeners know about you? Well, there are, there are many things, but what I want you to know is certainly I'm a veteran, but I'm also an author, a speaker, a leader, and now a developer of the, of the next generation of leaders for our world. Uh, as you referred to, I was one of the first women to graduate from the U.S. Naval Academy. In fact, I was in the fourth class of women to attend that school. And throughout my career, I was often one of the only or the only woman at each step along the way. I learned not only to survive, but I learned to thrive. I was a naval aviator, a naval flight officer, in fact, a test pilot school graduate, and I've flown over 1,600 hours and 35-plus types of U.S. and allied aircraft. And my career in the Navy and my experience of being a minority is what I use to inform the platform that I use today. So I am absolutely thrilled to talk about women and leadership, two of my favorite topics. I mean, we had a conversation before the show. Of what, what exactly do I call you, doctor, captain? It's, there, there's so much going on here, and I wish we had two shows. But uh, you recently oh, I, I do too. Yeah, maybe maybe we will. Maybe we will. You, you recently published your first book, uh, Flight Lessons, Navigating Through Life's Turbulence and Learning to Fly High. I'm curious about that experience. What made you want to write a book? Well, I, I have been a speaker for years, years and years, because I feel, I feel compelled to go out and tell my story because it's a story of inspiration. It's not just overcoming obstacles. It's, uh, you know, choosing, choosing pathways that lead to greater and greater success. So as a speaker, I've been telling my story over and over again, whether that be in K-12 spaces, whether that it be at university women's clubs or at universities, out in business. And then one day, a gentleman whom I was interviewing, he just turned to me and he said, you need to write your book, and I'm going to give you the name of the woman who's going to help you do that. And for me, it felt like this lightning bolt that came out of the sky that said, okay, the time is now to write your book. 
So that was nearly four years ago. So I started writing my book while I was finishing my doctorate. So it took a little bit longer than I expected, but I was thrilled to release it uh, this past year. So it's part memoir, but more importantly, it's call to action for those that are seeking to learn to fly high in their lives. I use flying both literally and also as a metaphor. I, I just, I'm, the stats here, the 35 types of aircraft, I have to, I was a naval aviator. I flew like three. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I can't imagine. Uh, and so I'm excited to talk about flying. Uh, if, when somebody reads your book, what, what's the key takeaway that you hope someone takes away from your, your writing? I always think of my key takeaway is um, when you don't fit in, choose to stand out. It goes back to, you know, my experience as being uh, in the minority. And for those who are in the minority, whether chosen or unchosen, you can actually see it as opportunity, an opportunity to make that difference and to choose to stand out. So that, I would say that is, that's the bottom line in my book. But you've got to read it because there are lots of lessons that I learned along the way. I speak about uh, gritting it out, then navigating turbulence, and earning our wings. So please dive into the book, and there's some really good lessons that I have learned along the way and others have, you know, have taught me. But this is something I, I kind of want to pick at throughout this interview and, and better understand mm-hmm. because – you're saying choose to, to stand out, um, and I, I love that. And also, it seems unfair, honestly. If, if you're a woman and you're perfectly qualified to fly combat missions, you're perfectly qualified, mm-hmm. obviously you graduated from the Naval Academy, why should you have to do anything different? Well, it, it just is. I found early on I could spend a lot of energy you know, fighting against um, what was going on, or learn to just embrace uh, embrace what was in front of me and say, I can, I can choose to stand out. You know, the way it showed up for me is that I always ensured that my uniform was always in, you know, perfect condition. It was tailored, that my hair, I never had a hair out of place. And so I was going to show others, you know, what it looked like, what it looked like to be a woman, what it looked like to be a woman military aviator. And that was critically important uh, and prepared me well for when we went to Capitol Hill to repeal the combat exclusion laws. You know, now I think of that connection. So, yes, it's unfortunate that we have to do that, but don't spend the energy, don't spend your energy worrying about that. Make that choice to stand out. Just just make the choice and move forward. And, and ironically, that's... Mm-hmm. It's not bad advice if you remove gender from that sentence. It doesn't seem unfair or, uh, you know, it's good advice. Anyone should choose to do excellent work in Mm -hmm. in the thing that they've chosen to to pursue in life. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think uh, in my book I talk about how I know how it feels to walk into a room where my presence is immediately noticed, where my credentials are questioned, where... It's assumed that I took a position from a more qualified male, which was never the case. And through that, I also learned that I can walk into a room and I can be immediately noticed and I can say something differently. 
I can take on that message that I'm going to choose to stand out, and there's my platform. And it can be for others as well. It sounds like you're taking tokenism head on and saying almost, I'm hearing this is an opportunity for you to speak up, lead by example, mm-hmm. because everybody's going to notice you. That's, I've honestly never heard that perspective, and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I would say it's some hard-won wisdom along the way. You know, it doesn't come immediately early on in your career or in your, your work life or in your, your life in college. But it's, uh, you know, it's something that we can grab onto, that we can say, okay, they're going to notice me. And we don't have to be brash about it. But they're like, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what a woman naval officer looks like, an aviator. Now this is what a doctor of education looks like. And just to claim that, there's so many things we should claim for ourselves as we you know, walk into that room, whatever that room might be, whether that's the boardroom, whether that is, you know, as I walk into my classroom, claim who we are. And I teach that to my students. Claim who you are. We all have different <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm wondering sometimes who I am. That's, that's a big question, a big, big thing to claim. <laughs> I want, I want to come back to the, the boardroom question here in just a second, but we're going to take a quick sure. moment and recognize one of our sponsors. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all our sponsors and partners. Welcome back to Leading on the Edge with our guest, Captain Barbara Bell. Uh, Yeah, the boardroom question, huge. There are laws now in California that require certain companies Mm. to put women on their boards. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are kind of two factions of women in my life. Some women say things like women need to earn their seat at the table. This isn't right. It's going to make people look at us in a different way. And some say like, yeah, there should be half, half the people on the board should be women. And it's about time. Uh, what are your mm. thoughts? Women aren't looking for a hand out, but they're looking for a hand up because many of those spaces have essentially been closed to women for a long time. So I was thinking of an experience that I had recently where I was being interviewed for, for a board position of a, you know, a, a new start uh, entrepreneurial company, and they wanted diversity uh, on their board, and I certainly have huge credentials. But then they started saying, but we're really looking for a really nuanced piece over here, so I don't think you're the right person for that. And I, 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 you know, I step back now and I really bristle at that because I bring a, a wide range of experience as well as my credentials. And to say, well, we don't have exactly what we're looking for. We need to open our minds that women bring some incredible qualities and a different way of thinking to these board spaces. So I think in many ways women have earned and they have earned that place uh, in the boardroom and they need to be open to them. Does that make yeah, sense? Like, 
Go ahead. It, it seems like there there are just benefits inherent to having women on a board. And you see all kinds of mm-hmm. anecdotes and even empirical evidence as to like Iceland during the 2008 financial crisis and other things where women are in leadership, maybe we don't take as many dumb risks and other important things that a company would be looking for. Uh, what, what benefits do you see to having women's perspective on boards? That's a, you know, that question just gets really expansive with me. Uh, mm-hmm. Women, I do believe, lead differently. Uh, women ha- are, tend to be more collaborative. They tend to lead with empathy. They are change agents. In order to be qualified for boards, they have certainly um, climbed through and, uh, and around or gone around many different barriers just to get to that place of being qualified. So... I was speaking with a woman, uh, I was in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club, and it was a conference about women in STEM, and this woman uh, had her chemical engineering degree, and she was working on an international security uh, master's degree, because she felt that that women's voices at the table lead lead to better decisions. Her specialty was weapons of mass destruction. I can't imagine being in that space. But she had been, you know, she had been in Brussels and she, as an intern, and she found that when women's voices were at the table, perhaps some different solutions uh, were brought forward. And certainly today we need some different solutions in our world. Yeah, some different perspectives even. There's, there's an interesting chapter in Risk of User's Guide by General McChrystal and Anna Butrico that talks mm-hmm. about diversity as a hedge against risk and not necessarily Mm. gender or or race or anything like that, but just different perspectives. But like you say, women have a different perspective in general, just from the Mm -hmm. experiences that that they've Mm -hmm. had to go through to get to that point. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I really like this quote that you share uh, from Amelia Earhart, because it kind of gets at the heart of this conversation. Uh, she says, mm-hmm. some of us have great runways already built for us. If you have one, take off. If you don't have one, realize it's your responsibility to grab a shovel and build one for yourself and for those who will follow after you. What does that mean for you? I, you know, I, I love Amelia Earhart uh, and also Bessie Coleman uh, from the same era. You know, there were women that um, – had to find their own way, had to make their own way. And, you know, and I kind of draw on their strength of what they did and, and then also the women Air Force service pilots uh, who were some of the first women military aviators. And so in ways they started a runway for me, but certainly as being one of the first women to graduate from the Naval Academy, we were, we were pioneers in what we were doing. And we had to get gritty. We had to get into it. You know, we had to get our shovels in the dirt. We had to make the pathway for ourselves or the runway for ourselves. But it wasn't just for us. We were opening doors. We were preparing that runway for the women who would follow us. And so I see that uh, I see and then I very much feel that becoming a naval officer was a calling on my life. 
and then also educating the next generation of leaders is certainly a calling on my life. So I think of, you know, back to your point, like I was a pioneer, but there were those who went before me. They opened some doors for me. And we have this responsibility to walk through that door, hold the next door open that maybe we walk through or only the women that follow us have the ability to walk through. So sometimes we open doors for ourselves and, and others who follow us, but sometimes we open doors that only others can walk through. And again, that was like uh, similar to the work that we did on Capitol Hill to repeal the combat exclusion laws. I'm, I'm so ready to pick up the shovel and, and help build this runway. Follow me. Uh, All getting, right. Awesome. That's, that's my work. Here. My work is to inspire but, others. I love it. I love it. I, I think a, a big problem that I see, and I'm curious if you agree or not, is that things have gotten so much better. It's really easy to say, well, you know, a lot of women are at the Naval Academy now, and women can fly combat missions, and, and it's, you know, maybe we're, we've made it. Uh, but I think really kind of sexism and gender inequality has just been pushed down. Like my wife's a, an MD and she's looking at the numbers and saying like, well, I'm getting paid 70 cents on a dollar here. This is ridiculous. And, and those conversations get cut out because yeah, women can fly in, in combat missions now, which is really good. I'm curious how you see that momentum going forward. Is there a way to keep it going? Well, certainly there is a way to, to keep the momentum going forward because we don't want to, we don't want to lose ground. We don't want to walk backwards on the runway that we have created uh, for ourselves. Certainly women, uh, you know, there are 60% of college graduates now. Um, however, when you look in, into different fields, um, women are still very much in the minority, particularly in engineering, uh, physics comes to mind, and computer science. So there is still there is still space to make those changes. And perhaps the changes are a little more nuanced now than they were previously. For example, when combat aviation wasn't open to women, we saw that, you know, we saw that law, we saw that barrier very specifically as something that we needed to overcome. But now, you know, uh, inclusivity in the work what are those what are those microaggressions that we need to you know drive out you know I've experienced both macroaggressions and then the more subtle microaggressions uh, in the workplace so education goes a long way not just educating women and those who are in the minority it's, it's everyone and then practicing we need to practice that we need to practice our changes does that make sense to you that totally makes sense, and that kind of leads into something else I'm, I'm curious about is I hear Amelia Earhart saying, I'm going to build my own runway and all the fantastic work that you've done, but where as men is our place here? Because it, it seems like we need to do some of the lifting too. Say that again, that last piece. Well, what is – where should men – be in this conversation? Is this a problem that women need to fix and, and kind of men are a barrier or should this conversation and, and helping women uh, eliminate gender inequality? Oh, men certainly need to be part of the conversation. 
it's very easy to say this is a, a women's only issue. No, it's, it's everyone. It's all of us together. You know, recognizing our own biases is incredibly important. You know, where both uh, explicit and implicit biases, understanding that we all have biases and recognizing how we check our biases. I have an example. I was, uh, I was at the Naval Academy for a football game uh, recently, and I was talking, talking with a gentleman. Uh, I had been speaking with his wife, and I was talking with him, and I knew he was a veteran, and he was a gentleman of color. And so we're just talking about careers and, and such, and he said, oh, well, uh, is your husband a graduate of the Naval Academy? And I stopped for a moment. I said, no, uh, I'm a graduate of the Naval Academy. I'm class of 83. And I, I didn't think much of it and, and went on to watch the rest of the game. And then he sought me out afterwards, and he apologized to me. He said, I am so sorry for assuming that it was your partner uh, who was the graduate of the Naval Academy. He said, you didn't do that to me. You didn't ask me whether I was an athlete. And it began, just opened up the space for more beautiful conversation about sometimes you know, we act out of our biases, but we also have the opportunity to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I recognize. So, That's such a, yeah, go, go ahead. So, you know, men becoming, you know, advocates, men becoming allies. I've had some fantastic mentors, uh, you know, throughout my career, and I always think of uh, Smiley Ennewald. He saw, he saw in me great potential, and he helped me to realize my potential by giving me opportunity where others might have shied away from doing that. So I, take a look at your biases and learn how to check them. I, I really like that story, uh, and, and good on him for coming back to apologize. You mentioned practice in, in terms of how we move forward, and it's an interesting word because it isn't. A lot of times, when I think about this, it's like we we need to get it 100% right right away, and maybe that's not realistic. And this is something just like playing sports or anything else that you have to practice, and you make mistakes, and there's a lot of apologizing and forgiveness involved. What does that look like to you? I see that, yes, it must be practiced. Uh, the way that I teach leadership at Vanderbilt University is I call my class uh, the leadership lab, that we are actually going to engage with the theories and we are going to practice the theories there in class and understanding that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn from our mistakes, but we're going to create a culture where we can do so. And I think of one of the... Um, one of the great tools that I bring forward uh, into my classroom, into the leadership lab, is the importance of creating a culture of feedback. And that's where I see it opens the space for deeper and deeper conversation. So to, you know, to men and to women, we need to learn how to give feedback and we need to learn how to receive feedback so that we don't get defensive with one another, so that when we make a mistake, others are willing to come and tell us about it 
so that we can correct our behavior, so we can continue to refine our practice, if you will. That skill of, of feedback or even culture, I, I like that word a lot, is so important. Mm -hmm. And this is such a emotionally charged topic and in general, mm -hmm. speaking for men everywhere, we're not that great with emotions. So, so <laughs> what, what are good ways to help us? And I've gotten pushback even on this question because it isn't necessarily your responsibility to help us figure this out, but you know, not be so defensive, just to build a culture where a woman can tell me, like, hey, what you just did is kind of sexist and hurt. And I can just say, wow, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll get better at that and not say, well, you deserved it or whatever, all of the stuff that's out there. Mm -hmm. Right. I think of the process that uh, Leanne Renninger uses in her TED Talk, and it's how to learn to give great feedback. And so if we can start to develop a framework for feedback within our organizations and practice that on a regular basis, then, you know, then we're going to start moving the needle. So I want to bring up some of her four points because I use this in my classroom space. And by, by the end of the semester, my students are actually, I call them my team members. We are we are really good at giving feedback and we're really good at receiving feedback. But that feedback needs to be brain friendly so we don't go immediately to that fight or flight mode. And perhaps that, mm -hmm. that makes speak to you, you know, as a man. But the four points are you have, to, you have to start with a micro yes so that you even know that feedback is coming hey, can I speak to you for a minute about um, what I just saw in the meeting that we came out of? And then you have a choice. You know, I don't have time right now, or, oh, yes, I, I, do, have, I do have time. And now my brain has switched from that place of uh, the limbic brain of fight or flight, and, oh, okay, now I can tune in to you. And then you, the second point is to provide data. You know, in the meeting that we just came out of, you referred to me as Barbara, but my rank is Captain Bell, or if I'm in education, I am Dr. Bell, referred to all the male colleagues by their titles. And then the impact, then the third step is to show impact. And the impact is that that discounts me in this space. Then the fourth point is to end on a question. Next time we have a meeting, can you always refer to me as Dr. Bell? And that's inviting someone into this feedback loop. Actionable, useful, love it. Mm -hmm. uh, I wrote all those mm -hmm. down. I'm going to practice them over here myself. Uh, somehow, it's like a black hole of time here. We're already coming <laughs> up on the end. And, and Captain Bell, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, what's next for you? You had some exciting news uh, that you shared before we started the show, and 2023 sounds like a big year. 2023 is going to be a fantastic year. We are going to celebrate 50 years of women in modern military aviation. The Navy opened up military aviation to women in 1973. And then we're also going to celebrate 30 years of the repeal of the combat exclusion laws. 
I had the privilege and honor to go to Capitol Hill uh, in 1992 uh, to talk with our congressmen uh, along with other women military aviators, and they repealed the laws, and women now fly unrestricted from 1993 on. So the, the Blue Angels, uh, the Navy's flight demonstration team, they are dedicating their first show of the season to uh, women in military aviation, and I'm really excited to be part of that. Very, very cool. Exciting, exciting news and, and a wonderful display of the work that you've done through your career of inspiring and setting people up. But the image of the runway and building it for the next people and the next people and the next people is, mm-hmm. is something that's going to stick with me. I think that's powerful. In case wonderful. our listeners want to reach out to you after the show, uh, what's the best way for people to contact you? The best and easiest way is to go to my website at captainbarbarabell.com. That has all Great. the other details in it. Perfect. And and you can order the book and learn from all these uh, all this experience. Uh, we will put a link to that on the show notes as well. Captain Bell, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you sharing your insights and experience uh, and such actionable and, and useful advice. Great. Thank you so very much tonight. It was a pleasure. Okay. That's all for our show today. Thank you again, Captain Barbara Bell, for being our guest. And thank you to all our listeners around the world. Remember, you can always tune in to Women Lead Radio shows on Monday at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It has been my pleasure to be your host today. I hope this episode inspires you to keep exploring, pushing your boundaries, and leading on the edge. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.